Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, Adela Marcy, and today we have the legend, the one and only, the man who single-handedly influenced my career more than anyone else and is just, I owe so much to, Mr. Joseph Sugarman. Joe, thank you for being here. Thanks, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, just a quick heads up, as always, we're sponsored by purelyhosting.com slash Adel. Uh, AdelaMarshi.com, and today's episode is also sponsored by BlueBlocker.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-C-K-E-R.com. Also, go check out all of Joe's books. Um, I'm sure you can get them on the site, correct? Triggers, Seven Natural Forces of Success. Yeah, is- or, or Amazon. Amazon. Yep. Amazon will be your best bet, guys. Uh, I cannot attest to how much knowledge and wisdom and creative uh, storytelling is actually in each one of those books. But uh, Joe, wow. So, if I'm going to give an introduction to Joe Sugarman, if I had to give an introduction to Joe Sugarman, um, my knowledge is very limited because, of course, uh, of time and my age. But what I do know of Joe, especially of you, Joe, is uh, you started out essentially working. You started working out with your what was it? Was it a ski lift business? That was where you started off with before you went to the army, or was it after the army? That was after the army. Wow. Uh, I was in uh, I was in the I was at the University of Miami, studying to be an electrical engineer, and I had spent three and a half years doing that, and I had one semester left, and the army drafts me, and I tried to postpone it until I graduated. They said no, we need they're putting up this Berlin Wall, we need troops, so I was drafted. I went to basic training. I went to, uh, but anyway, in basic training they give you a test. And the test is to determine your intellectual level, right? Well, out of the 2,000 soldiers, I think I got the highest score because I was pulled out of the company and I was brought to a room. And in the room were two civilian guys and the commanding general of the camp. And the commanding general says, Mr. Sugarman, you had the one of the highest scores we've ever experienced with with our company. You're, you're eligible for military intelligence. Wow. That's where these two guys in civilian clothes were. He says, yes, do you have any questions? I says, yeah, uh, how much time do I have to put into that? And they said, well, you gotta, you got to extend your stay for another year. So instead of staying for two years, you got to stay for three years. I said, you know, it sounds like a James Bond type of experience. I don't want to miss this. Okay, I'll accept it. And so they shipped me off to Fort Halliburton, Maryland. And there, uh, it, was, it was just like, it was just like, I mean, it had, it had um, bunk beds. I mean, it was just like being in the army, but you only wore civilian clothes when you left. You had civilian clothes with you because you were acting as, in a sense, as a spy, as, a, as an intelligence agent. Yeah. Wow. And so... <clears throat> I had an experience with that as well. Uh, they, they had a, a big fan in the middle of this uh, uh, bathroom. And on one side were showers, and then on the other side were these sinks with mirrors. And if you, uh, the fan would be blowing, but it was the middle of winter and it was very, very cold. And if you got into the shower, you couldn't take it much because it was just so cold and because that fan was blowing. 
And if you, if she, so I would go up to the fan and I'd shut off the switch and I'd start taking my shower, but somebody would then turn it back on. And this went on for like a couple of weeks. And finally I said, you know what? I've got an idea. So I went to a office supply store and I got some stuff that I felt I could make into um, uh, something that looked military. And I wrote a sign while everybody was sleeping. I woke up and I wrote a sign and it said, anybody touching this fan switch, either turning it on or off, will be subject to dismissal from this uh, unit and subject to all sorts of you know, negative stuff. So I posted the sign and the next day I walk in and I turn, on this, turn off the switch and everybody's looking at me like saying, oh, that guy Sugarman, he's going to get into trouble. And I take this really long shower. I mean, it was just long. <laughs> and and, uh, and I did this for like two, three. And, oh, and then when I finished my shower, which I took a long time, and everybody's mirrors were getting fogged up, but they couldn't do anything because they'd be violating this, this, this law. Um, so after I uh, finished my shower, I'd go to the mirror. I'd, first of all, I'd turn the fan on again. I'd go to the mirror. I'd wipe it off because it was all foggy. And I take a shave and I, you know, get ready for the day. Well, I did this for three weeks, Adil, three weeks. Nobody bothered me. Finally, I get called down to the commanding general's office. And I sit in the chair and he says, Sugarman. I says, yes, sir. I understand you've been violating Part 407 of the Military Justice Act uh, by turning that switch on and off. And... And he and I, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, oh, no, what do I do now? So I decided I'll tell him the truth. And I told him the story. And he started to laugh. And he says, Sherman, we need more people like you. This is a great story. I've, I've got a, just got a new position in, in Germany. We're going to send you to Germany. We're going to teach you the German language. And you'll be an agent for us in Germany. But I just I, I love this story. Wow. And that's that's how I ended up in Germany. They sent me to <laughs> language school, two language schools. I, I, I must have spent about seven, eight months in language schools, and I learned German well enough so you couldn't tell I was an American. Wow. It was in um, – it was uh, – then. well, then after that, and when I left the Army, I uh, somebody – somehow let me know that there was an opportunity to sell ski lifts. And um, I had some buddies from college and I called them up and I said, come on out to Europe. We're going to try some ski lifts and maybe we'll have a nice little business in the United States. We've got these manufacturers in Austria that want to sell their product in the United States. And so we said, okay. Um, um, so they came out and we went skiing and we saw the ski resorts, we saw the ski lifts and we decided to be their American representative and, and the friend of mine that I brought with was a civil engineer so he could install them and um, I would, I would uh, basically promote them. Wow. You know, you asked me a question, so I'm giving you a whole history here. Oh, no, no. This, I, I don't think anyone minds, because this is like literally the the makings, essentially the start point of, I don't know if that was the start of your career, but like, for someone like me, that is a very important part, because I always get asked, how did you start your career in direct response? Um, yeah. And it's well, this, this is just a whole thing for me. It's a history lesson. Yeah, well... 
I don't know. You've got wild cats uh, roaming uh, your area. Apartment. Yeah, it's just just a single cat. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Chase has decided to join us because it's his last night with me for about a month. So uh, he will be shipped off tomorrow evening to go to uh, breed because he's a breeding cat. So. Oh, okay, good, good yeah. for good. Okay. You'd be surprised how much they actually pull. Like from a direct response uh, point of view, at like. Bengal cats pull, uh, in, I'm going to try and convert it best to US dollar from the British pound, but it's anywhere between $800 to $1,000 all the way up to $5,000 for a kitten, for one of his kittens. So, um, oh. yeah, I was like, that's a, that's a decent, <laughs> that's an easy business to run. I get to play with cats all day, and uh, he, I, I don't see him for a month at a time. But hey. So, but yeah. Okay. So just like kind of moving on directly there. So you're in, uh, you're in, Ger you're in Germany. You just got back from Germany. You have these, um, you set up this whole uh, ski lift business with someone in Austria that you're promoting them in the U.S. How did that? How did that eventually become JSNA? Well, what actually would happen? I, um, I, uh, I would write the advertising to sell the ski lifts, and my partner would would sell and install. The, the ski lifts. So we had a nice arrangement, um, but the manufacturer or the uh, ski resorts would contact us and say, hey, we, we uh, think the ski, the ski lifts are fine. We don't need the ski lifts, but we love your advertising. Would you be so kind as to help us with that? So I said, sure, I'll be happy to. So I would help them. And before long, I had, I had a, a, a dozen accounts at least that I was doing advertising for. And I liked that so much more, and I didn't like the ski lift part of it, so I, I told my partner I, I, I'd rather just, I'd rather just uh, give him the, the uh, ski lift portion, and I'm just going to form my own ad agency. And one of the accounts I had was a politician, and um, I started doing the political, the direct response political work, and I had the governor, the mayor, uh, the um, I had all kinds of really great accounts and 85% of my accounts won their election. However, 50% of those went to jail, but that was Chicago politics that had nothing to do with me. So, but I, I, I uh, really gravitated towards that and I helped uh, establish and sell a lot of people. I mean, a lot of politicians and uh, also some businesses. And one day somebody approached me. Now here, this is the interesting part. Okay. Really makes a big difference. Somebody approached me and said, "Joe, um, I, you know, I, I we we love your advertising, but uh, we have a product that we'd like you to sell." And I said, well, "What's the product?" Well, it's a pocket calculator. Yeah. And up to this point, nobody had ever heard of that. The pocket calculator. And they showed it to me, and I said, oh, okay. So I says, oh, let me give it a try. Let me test it. <laughs> there's, the, there's the kid. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I want to be part of this conversation. So um, <laughs> that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> oh, no, he's just here. He just sat here being himself. But so the pocket calculator was there. Um, so no one had seen these up until this point. Yeah, and they said uh, it's uh, – so I think it was like uh, – $239 for a pocket calculator, would you believe? Wow, back then and as well. So I, I said, let me try it. I'll, I'll, what, what I need to do is I'll, I'll do a test because I'm 
you know, that's what you do with direct response. You test first. And so I did a test. Uh, I, I, I borrowed money from some of my friends, as a matter of fact, and I, I invested in a, in a test. And it was a direct mail test. And I sent it out. And I sent it to 10 different mailing lists, 10 different mailing lists. And it bombed. Wow. It bombed. I lost half the money. And I looked at it, I looked at the various mailing lists. Well, I did one thing that was clever is I keyed each of the response coupons so I knew which ones worked. And fortunately, two of them worked very well. And the rest of them were terrible. So I went back to my investors and I says, look, the deal is this. Um, I'll try retest this again. When you double your money, you're out. And then I'll have my own little company. But I, I've got to double your money first. And they say, oh, they all agreed. So I sent out a mailing to just those two really good lists. And it, it was fantastic. We made thousands of dollars. I was able to double the investment from my investors. And now I had my own electronic company selling gadgets. Wow. And we started selling everything from pocket calculators to digital watches, <clears throat> you name it. I mean, it was anything that was digital, we introduced. It was that type of uh, thing. Um, and uh, one of the things I'm probably the most proud of is that 1973, what we had done, it was illegal to take an order over the telephone and write somebody's credit card information and send them the product. You were not allowed to do that. You had to have a customer's signature. And that was the law. And if you violated it, you could lose the, the, the right to use the credit card. So I was very cautious, but I got calls from people that said, Joe, I, I need this calculator right away. I don't have time to send you a coupon, wait for you to process it and send it back. Could you just sign my name to it? And I said, oh, okay. So I did that for two, three months and um, never got a problem. And people just accepted that and I never, never had a problem at all. So then I decided very sneakily I would put in my coupon, credit card buyers call toll free. Hoping to hoping that the credit card companies don't really notice that, but it was very small. And sure enough, boom, we were buried. We, wow. we got toll free numbers. We got uh, people to take the call and we were just deluged. And instead of waiting 10 days before, you know, if you have a success, we knew within the first few hours because it, you know, that the, the order broke. Well, I was most proud of that, and I kept doing that. And then finally, I get a call from AT&T. Uh, they were, or Watts, they, they handled the Watts lines. And they said, Mr. Sugarman? I said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> said, no, Mr. Sugarman, we just wanted you to know that we've been following your success, and we realized that we need to let people use their credit cards and toll-free numbers to, to take orders. And so they wrote me up in the Wall Street Journal, big article about how successful I was, and and so we initiated that, and I was making literally thousands and thousands of dollars. And um, and and we'd always test. That was the other thing. We'd always test. So if something worked, that's great. If it didn't work, we didn't run it. And uh, that 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 was very successful for us. So that's how I really got my start. 
it was in electronics. Now, here was the big exciting thing. Um, I was, um, no, let's see, I was uh, selling electronics and I was going along, I was doing fairly well. And uh, I was in, we're, we're actually doing a, um, a, a 12 page insert for United Airlines, or I'm sorry, eight page insert for United Airlines. And uh, so I was putting that together, but then I took a break and went to California to visit a friend of mine who was going to show me a new product. And uh, while we were in the car, I was, uh, while I was in the car, I was, uh, what do you call it, um, squinting. I was okay. squinting. It was so bright. So my friend said, here, why don't you try this pair of sunglasses? So I put on the pair of sunglasses. And my goodness, uh, I stopped squinting and things appeared sharper and clearer. I says, well, this is terrific. What kind of, who makes it? And he says, oh, you, the manufacturer's going out of business. They were made for NASA. Wow. They sell for like three, $400 a pair. So I said, oh, wow, well, that would make a great mail order item. So I didn't think much of it. We went to see the product that he was showing me. I flew back to Chicago, which is my hometown, only to discover that one of the pages of the eight-page insert was missing a product because the company went bankrupt. So I said, oh, my God, the company went bankrupt. I said, um, um, uh, what do I do? And then I thought about, about this pair of sunglasses, and I called up my friend, and I urged him to send me a pair that I'd figure out a way to get it made, that I had two months to, to get it produced. So he did. I photographed it. I wrote an ad within a few hours because I was at a deadline. <laughs> I had to get the insert. I had to get the insert finished right away. I had two months to source the product, but I had to get the insert done right away. Well, I did. And we got it done right away. And Believe it or not, it was the most successful ad I'd ever run. Wow. It just dwarfed everything else. And I started to advertise in every magazine you could possibly imagine. I advertised all over the place. What year was this, and, by the way? What year did you start uh, advertising this? I'm, I'm sorry? What year, what, did, what year was the uh, initial ad run in? Uh, the oh the initial ad in the early seventies um, oh for for blue blocker yes so, um, sixty eight I believe sixty nine wow um, uh, I've got to get some of these dates that's <laughs> it's, right. it's yeah. all book that's that's one of the reasons I wrote my book because I I, I forget a lot of this stuff but anyway um, well here's what happened then uh, I I started to advertise in every magazine I can get my hands on. And I sold within about six to eight months, I sold a hundred thousand pair. Wow. Hundred thousand pair. I thought that was fantastic. And then they came out with the infomercial. And I says, that's what I'm gonna do, the infomercial. And so I and everybody thought I was nuts. They said, well, how could you spend a half hour selling a, a little pair of sunglasses you can get into any retail store? And I says People love television for entertainment, and I'm going to entertain them and sell at the same time. And so I created an infomercial, and instead of selling 100,000 over six to eight months, I started selling 100,000 a month, 100,000 a month. And then I got it up to like three, 400,000 wow. a month. Uh, and we were doing, we were, and we, and I was on QVC, and I was on home shopping, and I was on. 
I was all over the world. Our ads were running everywhere. Uh, so uh, it just blue blockers just took off. And here's what I learned from that. And this, this is a very interesting thing. You could go along. I found this to be true in many cases. You can go along in a certain direction and do what you think you need to, what you should be doing. And then something will come along and take you 90 degrees away. And that's where you make your money. Yeah. That's where you make your money. And that's what happened with Blue Blocker. I, I wasn't in the sunglass business. I was in electronics and into gadgets. But this opportunity came along. I was capable of recognizing it. I went for it and I was a success. And that product ran, uh, oh, we're now 30 years. We're still selling them. Um, I, I should have brought a pair. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I've got a pair here. Just wait one oh, second. Oh, no, go for okay. it, Joe. Don't, don't worry. Just go for it. Yeah, and this was the style, and we sold 20 million pair. Wow. 20 million pair. And this was the style that uh, really broke open the mar market. Wow. That's incredible. And now, just kind of like jumping onto the point that you just made about like when you're going down a certain path and you just get like a 90 degree turn out of any, like nowhere, and that's where you make your money. And just as a story as I can relate to you, uh, relate to here, um, a long time ago, I actually thought I was going to make all my business like helping entrepreneurs sell their wares online through the internet or like direct mail. Um, and then I, I got given some advice, become a niche specific copywriter, like, or a niche specific copywriter where you just basically work in one, one, uh, marketplace. And for some reason I couldn't accept that. So I decided to look at your work, Gary Halbert's work, Dan Candy, and all the other greats. And I realized all of you worked for, like, you may have worked inside a certain industry for a period, but you all expanded out, and that's where, realistically, you got, uh, where your abilities to write and sell became that much greater. So I took that on board. Sorry, you, you were going to say, Joe? Well, I was going to say, there are a couple keys to becoming a great copywriter. Yes. <clears throat> One of them is the more you write, the better you get. Mm -hmm. So you're really right. The second one is you want to experience life, experience a lot of things that maybe you normally wouldn't have experienced because from that you learn, believe it or not. Yep. Sometimes the most uh, obscure things that you discover later pay off. Yep. And so those two things are, are really important. Write a lot and um, just- Experience life. Experience life, yeah. I think you actually gave me that, uh, the, f the second piece of advice, which was uh, experience life uh, when I was 21, when we had all these conversations. Um, unfortunately, what, ha what had, had happened with the uh, first time that we spoke and did an interview, uh, my audio software had chewed up our audio so badly that it made it sound like we were talking over each other. And I was like, ah, oh, I still have that somewhere of that audio. I'm still, I, I wanted to fix it, but I couldn't. But just kind of as a side note here as to what you said about enjoying um, life and experiencing it, uh, I, actually, I don't think I've actually told you the story. 
But I started writing, and I only discovered this shortly after, uh, shortly before, but then really it sank in when I was about 22. Um, I had been writing direct response pieces or stories every single day from the age of 12 for my dad's company. And I had no idea that he had been taking my work and turning it into direct mail pieces for his company. I had no <laughs> idea about this. Uh, wow. Because me and my father, unfortunately, we, um, we, didn't, very, we didn't get on very well uh, until... I'd say December last year, we had a very, very tumultuous relationship, but we're getting, we're, we're recovering quite well, which is quite nice. Um, what had happened was that he told me when I was 18, uh, when I first got into business, he goes, become a copywriter. And I said, okay, whatever you say, old man, I'm not going to listen to you. Um, someone else told me to be a copywriter. I listened to them. And then my dad and I, just for some reason, we didn't really speak about it. And then years later, he goes, so what do you actually do right now? I was like, well, I'm a copywriter. I work in direct response. This is what I do. He goes, oh, so like uh, Colin and Jim, the, the guys that he, he hired. And I was like, uh, I guess so, but I think they're more brand dad. I don't know. I guess because they used to work for you and stuff. And he was like, well, let me show you something. And he gave me um, this portfolio of printed ads. And he goes, read the first three and recognize if you pick up any clues of the story, just, just let me know. So I read the first year, I looked at him and I said, I remember writing these in your office when I was 12, 13 years old. I remember writing these to you. And he, go, and he just turned around and he goes, yeah, what we used to do is your ads were so good, but grammatically, they were incorrect. So what we would do is we'd take them down, fix your grammar, we'd add a headline, and we'd add a call to action. And that was our direct mail pieces. So you've been what writing the- copy for as long. Uh, right now, I'm turning, uh, I'm turning 27 in two weeks today. And that would be marking my 15th year as someone that's written direct response every single day of my life. Good um, for you. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. But again, it's mentors like yourself that have constantly like taken me back from the brink of wanting to quit that I'm still here because if I'd quit and didn't experience the the feelings I had, I would never have done it. Um, and something to kind of expand onto um, about experiencing life, I had uh, even the negative experiences of life. Uh, when I was about 18, um, there was a very dark situation uh, that occurred that made me almost, that made me uh, try and commit suicide, which thankfully I'm still alive, which is great. But that ended up translating to me writing for a helpline um, in the UK for, for, like a, for a clinical depression helpline to talk about how they felt and how they can call in for help if they needed. They ran this ad, and I did it for free because I was like, you guys helped me when I was younger. I want to give back. Great. Wrote the ad. Ran. uh, And they did it over telephone as well. They had more people call in, men, specifically men, call in and start talking about their issues and how they were going through a tough time and how they needed help. And as you know, men are the hardest people to get through an emotional connection with and actually say, hey, I need help right now. But um, and that that was something that I only could do because I experienced I experienced it. That's wonderful. That's it's a wonderful story, and you're the type of person that uh, likes to give of yourself, give back. And I noticed that's also one of the keys to success, and that is that uh, the more you give, the more you receive. And um, uh, so you gave of yourself, and I re- really respect that. Yeah. And. Uh, as a result, you're, you're benefiting in a lot of different ways. Definitely. It's one of the things that I always say. Um, our friend Steve uh, Dorman, I sat down with him and I interviewed him uh, on Monday. 
uh, we had an interview uh, very similar to this. Um, and Steve and I were talking about his story and my story and how it's all about giving back to not just our communities, but to people that we know and care about. And it's so true how when you what you put out, it comes back tenfold. If you put out good, it will always come back to you. Well, that, maybe not always. Now, here, oh, my philosophy. My here's my philosophy. Whatever you do is for the best. You may not realize it at the time, but it is for the best. And so, when anything negative happens, I always say to myself, "Oh, it's I don't know where the best is here, but I know that eventually I, this will this will be very positive for me." So anyway, that's that's my philosophy. That's an excellent philosophy to have, um, just simply because it means that you don't really have what it, you will have moments, I guess, of uh, thinking this is a really bad thing. But if you think of it from that philosophy, I'm sure you actually kind of get back to that track of going, this will also have me in the end. Well, there's a couple of things. One is that uh, it's, it's to do with belief, belief. And I've always believed I was going to be a success always believed it. So when I had these negative experiences that, that, that would happen to me, and they're normal for any entrepreneur, uh, I would say to myself, okay, it's another experience. I know that I'll be successful, so I'm not going to let this bother me. Belief. Belief is extremely strong. I'll give you one example of belief being extremely strong. My cousin was a, is a psychiatrist and was a psychiatrist for the San Diego Chargers. They hired him to determine what it took to make a superstar, superstar football player. And what he discovered was there were two types, one that believed very strongly in God, uh, like Tim Tebow, and there's a few that pray at, at the game. And the second is the people who have big egos, who believe in themselves very strongly. But both of them boil down to belief. They had the belief that they were going to be successful. They had the belief that they were going to, uh, uh, that there, there was a higher power that really helped help them succeed. And so, anyway, that's the, the power of belief is something that I'm very, very keen on spreading the, that particular concept because that's really where it's at. If you have belief, you believe you're going to be a success, nothing's going to stop you. The key, however, is to never give up, never give up. I tell that story about Winston Churchill when he was um, invited by a college, Fulton College in Missouri, small little college. They were having their graduation program and they were having a meeting to decide who their keynote speaker was going to be. And everybody suggested some local politicians and so forth. But one guy raises his hand and he says, hey, why not Winston Churchill? And everybody looks at him like they were going to laugh because at this time, Winston Churchill was very old and um, a retired statesman and uh, who, who would ever believe he'd accept. So anyway, the guy wrote to Winston Churchill, got a response back, and the response says, yes, I'd be delighted to give the commencement address. Wow. The whole town went crazy. They thought this was a forged letter. They checked it out. It was true. He was coming. He arrives in Fulton, Missouri. Town is all decorated for him. Uh, he does a, 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 a what do you call it? A, a what? A tour? No, no. He was, he was given a parade. 
okay. through the town. And then they, they brought him to the college and then they seated him in a seat on the side and the, the mayor of the, of the town got up and, and talked about Winston Churchill and how honored that this town was to have him, that he was the most famous person that has ever appeared in that town. <clears throat> and then after the mayor got up there, the school principal got up and he said, this is the most exciting event that we've ever had here in Fulton, Missouri. And so ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce who, the person who's going to give our commencement address, Winston Churchill. And everybody applauds and Winston Churchill's real old by now and he's just hobbles over to the podium and he looks out at the audience and he says, never give up, never, never give up, never, never. And then he sits down and that was his commencement address. Wow. And that was the thing that every student could remember for the rest of their lives. So key, the key is never give up yeah. because you never know. It could be the next thing you do could be, you know, I, I talk about a bucket full of oysters. If you have a bucket full of oysters and there's a pearl in one of the oysters and you're handed the bucket and you're supposed to find the pearl and you start opening them up, well, the, 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 these, these, these clams are sharp. These oysters are sharp. They cut your fingers and pretty soon you get discouraged. You put them away. But that pearl is still in there. It could be at the very bottom. It could be at the very top, but it's still in there. And so you're, the, the whole idea is for you to, to go, through that, go through the whole bucket to, to, until you find that pearl. And if you never give up, you'll find it. That is very powerful. I'm, um, if I may, may I add one more thing to that? Um, go ahead. The power of gratitude. Gratitude, absolutely. Yeah, that's something... That is something that uh, has helped me. Belief, never giving up, and gratitude. Because gratitude, anytime I felt like giving up, I became grateful. And when you become grateful, it's very hard to be in a place where you're ungrateful for what you have. Um, it's very hard to say, I, I can't do anything when you're saying, I'm so thankful that I have eyes, working feet, uh, young body, uh, you know, work this, I've done that. I've had the good fortune of being here. I've got both my parents. Well, and you're 27 years old. I mean, that's pretty young. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty young. So you've got a hell of a future ahead of you. Thank you. And uh, all you got to do, one of the keys that I also found, and one of the th keys that built my skills <clears throat> was that at uh, one stage of my life, I read every book I could on direct response, direct marketing, the whole thing. And it was that reading that um, really made a difference because that's where I learned so much. Agreed. Agreed. That is, that is something that I've mentioned to my, the people that I've trained. The thing that separates me and my conversion rates and the records I've set and everything else, online at least, to other copywriters that are around today, um, it's simple. I, I don't stop reading. I don't stop learning. I don't feel like I've ever truly arrived. Um, like your books, I this is my this is my run list of every single uh, course and book that I take every year to refresh. Success Forces by yourself, the nineteen eighty uh, the nineteen eighties edition, which I have. Uh, Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz, The Brilliance Breakthrough by Eugene Schwartz, Ad Weekly by yourself and Triggers. 
um, scientific advertising by uh, Claude Hopkins, and finally finishing up with uh, a version of the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greenberg, con uh, concise versions. It's very, very thin and small because there are some great tips on how to use um, persuasion in that as well that really just help out. And these are like my go-to books every year that I read in January. I get them done by January and then refresh every couple of months when I need to come back to them. But it's it's true. Never not never giving up and never stop learning have probably been my two keys to keep going. Good for you. Good for you. Well, thank you for instilling your wisdom. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people you've how many lives you've touched, Joe. Well, let me let me tell you a little story. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Success forces, right? Okay. Um, you've heard of David Ogilvy, have you not? I have very well. I love all his work. He's an Englishman. I mean, he lived in in, in England, and he also had a home in in France. And he was a very successful advertising man in the United States. Probably one of the most recognized names. Well, David Ogilvy um, was uh, taken care of by this doctor, this Indian doctor by the name of uh, Dr. Naram, Pankash Naram. And Dr. Naram took care of him. And uh, in 1999, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the uh, David Ogilvy passed away. And before he passed away, he told this Dr. Naram, he says, best gift I could give you is my entire collection of books. My entire collection of books. So when he died, his estate sent to him, to Dr. Naram, all of his books and carton after carton after carton. He opened all of the cartons up and one book stood out. And it was success forces. So he picked up the book and he read it and he said it changed his life. Before he was shy, he was very careful who his accounts were. And as a result of that book, he just expanded and became very, very successful. Um, so now here was one copy of my book. I, I sold 100,000 copies, but one copy got into the hands of this Dr. Naram and changed his life. And one copy was used by David Ogilvy, and we know he used it because he underlined a lot of the things that are, were in the book. So here I've influenced millions, maybe 100 million people through one copy of my book. How much more, how many more people did I influence besides that one book, right? Yeah. Well. Uh, since I'm still a salesman, you really want to get the, <laughs> the seven forces of success. It's the book that influenced Dr. Naram and, and uh, Ogilvy and everybody, but it's the updated version. Mm -hmm. And then it's triggers, and all of these are available on Amazon.com. So if any of you really, uh, those are my two latest books, and they're they're very helpful. I'm, oh. Uh, I, Joe, don't you worry about selling at all, my friend. Feel free to, because any person that's listening to this, I'm going to tell you right now, If you, when you buy these books, it's not a matter of if. If you value your time, if you value your success, if you value anything in your life, I recommend you go ahead and get these books. When you do this, send me an email, write me a comment, whatever it is. I don't care if it's you're listening to this in 2016, you're listening it in 2016. Find a way to get in touch with me. And whatever you, 
whatever you go ahead and get from Joe today, I will match by giving you access to something that belongs to me, whether that's one of my courses, whether that's one of my consultations, whether that's me looking over your direct mail pieces, whatever it is, I will do simply because this book changed my life. It's changed many other people's lives, and I want people to get it. More importantly, something that I really haven't spoken to anyone about, and it's kind of cool that I get to speak to you about this, um, I gave that book to my mother uh, a few years ago because she loves reading, um, but my mother was, my mother's Tanzanian, so she didn't have a very good education. She left the schooling system at the age of 13, uh, got married at the age of tw- uh, 21, and had me at 23. At 26, sorry, had me at 22, at 26 years old, uh, when she was my age, she moved from Africa over to England, not knowing how to speak English, learned the language, and is now one of the best palliative care nurses in England, in my opinion, and by many of her standards that she set. I gave her this book, and she goes, why do you always carry this book with you? I was like, Mom, you're the only person I trust enough to give this book to, knowing that they will not damage it, they will not lose it, because it's, it's priceless to me. Okay. She's read it. She's read it numerous times. And she keeps asking me if she can borrow it every so often. And I'm like, sure. My mother, uh, so one of the things I definitely want to do is I do want to get uh, an updated version of all your books. Um, but more importantly, I want to get two versions of Seven Success Forces. I can give one to my mother. So at the end of this, please remind me to uh, pick both up because she loves your work as much as I do. Um, and that's basically, that. by the way, the guys, that's that's completely just there because I, you cannot imagine how much respect and love I have for Joe Sugarman. It's just that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, but kind of like jumping into this, uh, into the next era, really about belief in particular, because we, you said that you've we've gone to the belief, and I want to ask a little bit more. How, what advice would you give to someone that is teetering on the edge, where they feel like they can't believe in themselves, or they feel like they're lost? <laughs> I, I tell people, read my book, <laughs> because I am probably, people don't realize this, but I am probably your biggest failure that you could ever imagine. I have failed more times, more times than you could possibly imagine, but I never gave up. I never gave up, and that was the key. Um, and from the failures, you learn. You learn things, and you build upon what you've learned, and it's just it's just the way to go. So... I know it sounds kind of trite, but if you're ha- just have the belief that you're going to do very well eventually, that you'll discover the secret magic potion that you need to discover, but you just cannot give up. And keep in mind that I am a, I have failed more times than I've been successful. But you know, you could fail nine times, and it's the tenth one that makes up for all of the the ones that you, you didn't do well on. Uh, so that, that's my advice for that, uh, that entrepreneur. That's awesome. There is a story here, which I'm only going to start off in, Joe. I would love for you to take over and really tell. It's about the freak, the freakish storm, uh, like the snowstorm that hit. Was it a snowstorm or a hurricane that hit? When you were about to run the ad for the teeny bopping toy thing you had, you had everything set up and it just. Wait, wait, you're breaking up. Sorry. Okay, now I hear Sorry about that. It was, you had a. You were in Chicago and a was it a hurricane that hit? 
hurricane. A hurricane. Very rare. Very rare. I, uh, I had this um, string of bad luck, let's put it that way. But I figured, but somebody came to me with a product and I organized this incredible promotion. And, the, and it was going to be, I tested it, it tested fantastic. I had different celebrities, I had everything lined up. Only an act of God could stop me from making money on this venture. And that's when. Three major hurricanes struck the Chicago area, closed everything down. My promotion ended because I could not come. I couldn't pay for all these people to come back again. That was it. So I mean, you could have an act of God. You could have just. It could be anything. You just never. You never know. That's the key. That that has to be the only time that I've ever. When someone says only an act of God could stop this, and it was a literal act of God in nature just coming to it. Chicago. Doesn't Chicago doesn't get hurricanes. This had to be, had to be one in a million. <laughs> Looking back at it from this from now. Uh, how how do you like? Because I know in the moment you might feel, oh God, everything's going crazy. But looking back at it, um, how do you feel about that event? Is it one that you laugh about? Is it one that you joke about? Or is it one that you're just still like, wow, that actually still happened? Well, a lot, well, of, a lot of my experiences are funny, and a lot of my losses and a lot of they're funny stories. I I can share one. Please do. Just please do. Well, I mean, this just took place in high school. I was a junior in high school, and I had a chemistry class. And this guy was standing right next to me. And every Friday, we would have we'd mix chemicals to see the reaction. And he would always spill chemicals on my side of the area. And I, I one day he spilled some chemicals on my clothes. And I says, "You idiot! Look what you did! You jerk!" And he says, "You want to fight?" You want to fight? No, this guy was 100 pounds. I was about 150. 150. I said, yeah, okay. I says, where would you like to meet? He says, how about Greenfield Park? I says, great. That's real close to my home. I said, let's meet at 4 o'clock today. So he says, okay. So I'm going to, I go home. I get prepared for this fight. I call all my friends. I tell them, come on out to the, to this park and you're going to witness this fight. Um, I dress all in white, and the reason for it is I want his blood to just contrast against his clothes, against my clothes. So anyway, long story short, I start at 4 o'clock, I start walking, and I see all my friends gathered around, and I wave to them to welcome them, and then I turn around to face my adversary, and before I could even lift a fist, he punches me smack in the face, and my nose is bleeding all over my white clothes. I go running home. My mom almost died when she saw me. I was bleeding like crazy. She took me to the hospital. I stopped the bleeding. Um, but anyway, what happened was two years later, Almost exactly, Almost exactly two years later, two years later this, idiot, this idiot, this jerk, this jerk married, my married my sister. <laughs> so when you think, so when you think it, about it, it took two years, but I finally got even with it. <laughs> now, now <laughs> the funny part is he's been married to my sister for 53 years. So that was one that lasted a long time. I mean, these are stories... Um, uh, 
not, nothing about marketing, but these are the kind of stories that people people love stories. They love hearing stories. And so a good portion of my books, I talk about stories. And uh, sometimes I could do a, a full hour on some of the stories that took place in my life. But yeah, so uh, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because um, small promotional plug for something I'm doing. Um, I'm about to release something called the Story Selling Blueprint um, instead of storytelling. And my belief is that I think it was Ogilvy that said it best. Uh, telling stories actually helped all his ad campaigns work better. And as you've said, and as yeah. you've said it many a time, you have to have your customer follow the greasy slide on the sales. Letter. The greasy slide has to start; it has to be completely greasy the entire way down until they reach the order form. You have to slide them in. Right. And, right. And if they start, no, sorry, you were going to say. And if they start reading, the, the whole idea with this—I call it the slippery slide is that the, the, the most important sentence is the first sentence, the second most important is the second sentence, the third one. The idea of it being that if you start reading the ad, you're going to finish it if you've gone past the first couple of paragraphs because that shows that you're interested in the product and interested in what, what you need to do. Uh, well, anyway, it's, it's what you basically convey. Yeah, it's essentially that, and it's so true. And... Um, Something we do as humans, stories are how we communicate information and have done for like millions of years or however long we've been around, really. We've always communicated through stories and how we interpret them. So please feel free to add another story to this, Joe, because I'm enjoying them as much and I'm sure as everyone else will be listening to this enjoys them as well. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, well, there's always the Batman card. Oh, yes. I, I was hoping you'd show the Batman card. Uh, and uh, any of your listeners, I'll be happy to send them one, no charge. What happened? Um, uh, what happened with the Batman card? Um, I, I had my own little ad agency, and Batman in 1966 was a fad. Everything that had Batman on it sold like crazy. And the other fad that took place was credit cards. The banks, for the first time in history, started issuing this plastic money. And I says, you know, they're both fads. Why not combine them and come up with a Batman credit card, sell them for a relatively low price, and have them um, and then send a catalog to follow up so that people can buy these Batman products. And so I called the Licensing Corporation of America in New York. They were the ones that were licensing it. I told them I had an idea for a new Batman product. They, they laughed. They said, we've already licensed everything you can think of. We just licensed Batman peanut butter. I says, no, I've got a, I've got a, a new idea, a concept. I said, he says, well, what is it? Well, tell me over the phone. I says, well, it's a Batman credit card. And there was like silence, like he's checking his list. He says, Batman credit card? Yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, what's the idea? And I says, well, we sell million Batman credit cards and then we send out a cat. He says, great, why don't you come to New York and present it to our company. So I fly to New York. I had a whole presentation of my Batman credit card ready to present. I, I start showing this guy, his name was Murray, uh, he, and I start showing him the, the ad or the, the product and the whole concept. And he says, stop. He says, this is too important. And so he called a special conference, the president, the vice president, all the official people. 
that were in the licensing business. And then I gave my presentation and the president of Licensing Corporation stood up and said, that is the most incredible idea that we have heard. We want to be partners with you. I said, oh, wow. Well, for partners, how many cards should I print up? And they said, quarter of a million. I said, oh, okay. Quarter of a million. Well, that's a lot of cards. Okay, but you're my partners. So I go back to, uh, oh, and I said, what about the contract? Oh, we'll send that to you. You'll have it within a week. I said, okay. So I go back. I get the biggest credit card printer in Chicago. I convince him that to, to get ahead of all the other banks that are waiting in line to have their credit cards printed. And um, uh, so, uh, and then one of the banks, the First National Bank of Chicago, wanted to take our orders in the, that come in the mail and deposit the, the, the checks or the money that come in. And, and so uh, before, within about 10 days, believe it or not, I had Batman credit cards coming off the press. And that, but I hadn't heard from my friend Murray and I hadn't heard from Licensing Corp. So I called them and they told me that the president of National Periodical Publications, who owned the rights to Batman, didn't like my idea and therefore he wouldn't want us to license it. I says, but does he know that I printed a quarter of a million? And he says, yeah, he knows that. And so I, I wanted to see the guy personally because I was in. I flew, I flew out to New York. I wanted to see him and see if I can get the rights to sell this. So you talk about having failures. I mean, this was a big one. This was horrendous. I believe this. I owed everybody. So I went. So anyway, uh, I went to what I was in New York. I met with the president of the National Democratic, and he. He just, he just uh, he says, you finished, kid? I was a young guy at the time, and I says, yeah. He says, well, I just don't like your idea, and I already made $60 million on this Batman thing, and I don't have to accept your idea, so get the hell out of here. You're not going to run it. If you decide to run it, I'll sue your ass, so get out of here. And that was it. And year after year, I would check with Murray to find out if that guy was still in the office, if I could still sell the credit cards. And finally, 12 years later, believe it or not, I got the license. I tested it. I showed the test ad to my staff. They all thought I was going to sell thousands. The ad ran. It was a total failure. It did not sell. And that was the end of the So anyway, I still have a quarter of a million Batman credit cards. Uh, well, not a quarter of a million. It's a little less now because I pass them out at all my talks and I give it to people. But, but it's it's from 1966. It's 50 years old today. 50 years old. It's a collector's item. You can put it on eBay and do really well. But that was a, that was a typical. That was probably one of the worst failures that I could imagine because. Here I was looking to make millions of dollars, and I ended up broke. I had to pay the credit card company, the people that printed it. I had to pay the people that made my commercials. I had commercials already done. I had everything already finished. I had to pay all these people off, and I didn't have the money. But I told every one of them, I said, look, I'll give you a check every month. Some of the checks, the amounts would be very small. Some of, the checks, Some of the checks, the amounts would be a lot larger. But every month you'll get a check from me until I finally paid off my debt to you. And every one of them agreed to go along with that. And that's what I did. And I finally paid everybody off. And now, I, like I said, I own probably a couple hundred thousand of these Batman cards. They're in my warehouse. I am probably going to take a few of those from you as well. Because how cool would that be, just having that there? 
just take it out at dinner. Everyone's like, hey, what's that? Oh, it's just my Batman credit card. It's okay. <laughs> and just carry it around. Well, what I, what I have a lot of fun, what I do is I put it in with the check or with the, or with the you know, invoice or whatever. And they're walking away. And as they're walking away and they open up the thing, they look and they turn around. <laughs> and it's so funny to watch. So I have a lot of fun with it. That is brilliant. Joe, we're coming up to the near enough the end of the show right now. I just wanted to quickly ask you because we've covered so much. Um, now, usually this is the part where I would ask what would be your three pieces of advice, but you've given so much advice through your stories as well. But if there's just uh, actually, if there is three things that you want to give uh, as advice to an entrepreneur that is going through that time where they're he either hitting a plateau or they don't know how to like scale themselves up, what would be the advice that you give them? Well, we've already discussed most of them. I mean, all of them, really. And that is just to never give up. Never give up because you're, you're going to be successful. you just got to keep trying. You've got to keep working at it. Um, and then the power of belief. The power of belief. That's very, very important. Power of belief. And then just never give up. Never give up. And realize that I, who uh, I, are, I'm perceived as being this incredible success, I'm the, biggest, I'm the biggest failure you'll ever meet. And it was the fact that I knew I was going to make it. I had belief that I was going to be successful. I knew that I would not give up. I was going to be successful. And so, so it was. It's brilliant. Thank you so much for doing this, Joe. And how would people get in touch with you for uh, if they did want to get, say, a Batman um, credit card from you? Uh, you can write me at um, my email address is Joe Sugarman, J O E S U G A R M A N, at AOL.com. And if you can send a uh, self addressed stamped envelope, hear, hear me out now, self addressed stamped envelope to me so that I could send it to you without having to you know, mess around with email and all that kind of stuff. If you send me a, if you send me that, I will send you, I'll put in a Batman card for you. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, so guys, go ahead, uh, email Joe and get all his books, get everything you can, the entire collection of works from Joe Sugarman himself. I guarantee you, you will thank me much, much later and you'll thank Joe always for all the work that he's done. Um, and and believe it or not, I remember our last conversation wow. several years ago. Wow, that's amazing. I'm glad to hear yeah. But anyway, thank you very much. I, you have a lot to offer your, your audience, and uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll, uh, they'll learn a lot. So thank, thank you. Thank you for doing this, Joe. Guys, uh, thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.